If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City. It is my deep honor to introduce this morning our guest preacher. Bailey Perkins, a native of Lawton, is the Outreach and Legislative Director for the Oklahoma Policy Institute. As Outreach and Legislative Director, she represents OK Policy at the State Capitol during the legislative session and works with advocacy groups and coalitions, including our own voice, in the Oklahoma City area to help advance Oklahoma policy's agenda for broad-based prosperity. Now that is a great phrase. Prior to OK Policy, Bailey spent two years as a state policy fellow through the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Through Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, she researched, analyzed, and advocated for education and fiscal policies that benefit low to moderate income families. Bailey earned a bachelor's degree in political science and history as a Clara Looper full tuition scholar from Oklahoma City University, where she is one of Robin's favorite former students. She also earned a master of public administration degree from the University of Oklahoma. She is a founding co-director of New Leaders Council Oklahoma and serves on the board of directors for the Oklahoma Women's Coalition. Bailey is also the Connections Chair for the Sigma Sigma Omega Chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and a class member of Leadership Oklahoma City's Loyal Program. And of course, if you've been to the Capitol with voice or with me to do any kind of advocacy work, you've probably heard me say, I don't know the answer, we should find Bailey. <laughs> uh, because Bailey knows, um, knows the facts uh, and, and advocates hard for the public good. And that is in part why I wanted her to come and preach to us this morning, because she is a truth teller, and that's, that's what we need, truth tellers. So please, Mayflower, help me welcome Bailey Perkins. Thank you so, so much. Wow, that's a whole lot of expectations. I hope that meets your <laughs> expectations this morning. So thank you so much. Um, before I begin, I want to take a moment to say a few words about Representative Claudia Griffith. And if you're OK with that, take a moment of silence for her. Um, I spent a lot of time around her at the Capitol. I was pretty much around her office 
every day because her legislative coordinator, Tanasha, is my sorority sister and close friend. So I saw her pretty much every day at the Capitol and Representative Griffith didn't complain, at least to my face. <laughs> I take my job seriously because I know that there are millions of people across the state now and going forward generations from now who are affected by the decisions that are made on 23rd and Lincoln. I know that Representative Griffith had the same sentiment for her duty as a legislator. And I know this because I had a big ask of her this session that required sacrifice. About the last week or the last two weeks of legislative session, there was a bill being heard in a subcommittee in the House that would have taken health care and health coverage from people making as little as $350 a month. And we know how important it is for those times when you're ill um, to go to the doctor and have that coverage and that safeguard. Um, and that would have been taken away from thousands of Oklahomans. And there was maybe about six committee members and it was a really close vote. And I knew that I could count on Representative Griffith to do the right thing and make the right vote. But on that day, in addition to the efforts of the teacher walkout that were happening, um, and also she had a funeral that day, there was a chance that she wasn't gonna make it to that committee hearing. Um, so for a couple of days, I was bugging her, I was bugging her legislative coordinator and, and communicating with her about um, how much she was needed and the severity of the situation and how she could save coverage for thousands of Oklahomans. So she went to the funeral earlier that day um, and she rushed back to the Capitol to make sure that she could be on time for that vote. And because she decided to show up that day, thousands, excuse me, thousands of Oklahomans will keep their health coverage. So I truly regard her as a hero. I know that we are going to lose an advocate for children and families at the Capitol. So please just join me in a quick moment of silence on behalf of Representative Claudia Griffith. Great is your mercy towards me, your loving kindness towards me, your tender mercies I see day after Each 
Each morning as I'm driving in my car, I start my day with this song to get my heart right, to get my spirit aligned, and to get my mind in check. This song tells us that it's God's mercy, his loving kindness and faithfulness that sustains and provides for us day after day after day. So I thank God for giving me another chance in the land of the living to use me as a vessel for his will to be done. To the shepherd of this house, Dr. Robin Myers, who I'm grateful to have been a beneficiary of his teachings as one of his students at Oklahoma City University. To my shero, I mean reverend, hopefully one day representative, <laughs> Lori Walkie, who is always in the trenches of resilience, resistance, and spreading light in dark times. Thank you for thinking of me for your distinguished pulpit series. To the members of this amazing congregation, Mayflower, who have built a reputation of owning and embracing our social justice call to serve and act as Christians. To my family, who have joined us on this day, would you please stand? Thank you. Thank you so much for your unwavering love and support as I speak this morning. The timing worked perfectly because our family reunion is happening this weekend. So <laughs> I appreciate you taking time out of your morning to be here before you prepare to travel home. And lastly, to my Mima, my mother, and my sister, I want you particularly to please stand. You are the backbones of my life because you raised me, pushed me, and kept me close to the cross. Without your consistent examples of strength, tenacity, work ethic, and faith, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit. So I'm grateful for the lineage of strong Bailey women and their hashtag black girl magic. <laughs> Last week, I looked at your lineup and felt immediately humbled but intimidated. You have some of the brightest minds in the state and arguably the country connected to this speaker series. I pray that this message strengthens and empowers you as you go forth in your Christian walk. For the seasoned saints, the title of my message is Called for Such a Time as This. For my millennials in Generation Zers, the title is Walk It Like I Talk It. <laughs> Living in this world feels overwhelming and emotionally heavy. We live in a country where black folks can't walk to a convenience store for Skittles and a sweet tea, can't knock on a neighbor's door for help after a car accident, can't blast music in their car, barbecue, or even follow the law without the risk of being harassed, assaulted, 
and sometimes killed. Where Latinos can't walk down the street without their humanity and citizenship being questioned. Where women can't say no to the advances of a man without being assaulted or killed. Where we don't feel safe going to the mall, a church, a club, a school, or a movie theater. Where a man who calls grabbing women by the P word, locker room talk, steals money from college students by giving them a phony education and tweets the most egregious thoughts for the world to see can win the highest office in the land. I know this strikes a chord with so many of us because I see it on our social media post and I hear it within our conversations. But when you turn on the news and hopelessness sets in, when all feels lost, when you question the system and all of humanity, remember that we were called for such a time as this. We were called to fight. The time that we're in adds that much more urgency to our assignment and obligation as Christians. It's undoubtedly difficult, but if life were easy and the world was good, then there would have never been a need for Jesus to be a living example and make the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. As the Christians that we claim to be, we have to commit ourselves to the mission. Tough times call for transformational people. If your ministry only resides among these four walls, then guess what? You're not transformational. If your ministry only includes shouting Bible verses at people, then you're not transformational. Now is the time to look within and feel empowered to do your part in the actual work. What is that obligation? Being a Christian requires us to be Christ-like. And being a Christian and being Christ-like are not always the same thing. But having that clear understanding of what it actually means to be Christ-like. We have too many faux Christians misrepresenting who Christ is. The true test of Christianity is the applications of his teachings in our daily lives, meaning your behaviors and what you do outside of these four walls for others within your sphere of influence, or as the young folks say, walk it like I talk it. There are three scriptures that powerfully capture our Christian assignment on earth. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, where Jesus called us to be salt and light so that others can see our deeds and know the Father. Mark 12, 30 through 31, where Jesus instructed us to love God and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And Proverbs 31 and 8, our call since the Old Testament to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You'll notice that I didn't say go to church three times a week, <laughs> quote scriptures to strangers, wear church clothes, and get a building named after you for contributions. Those things are notable, but they aren't the things that prove your walk with Christ. It just means that you're consistent, you got money, and that you're good at memorization. Yeah. 
What I love most about the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ is that he epitomized walking like he talked it. Jesus wasn't confined to the four walls of the church. He spent more of his time among the people rather than the boundaries set by the church. He was the ultimate change agent, rebel, and resistance. Jesus stayed woke, as the young folks say. He was on the front lines every day to show people what he meant, not just in words, but through his actions, because Christians were so glued to the letter of the law that they weren't in tune to the spirit of it. Let me put it on your doorstep. What good is it knowing the scripture if you're mean to that person at the grocery store? You shaming the young girl who comes to church for the first time for her skirt being a little short? Or you start a rumor about that man who's struggling with addiction? What good is it when someone asks for food or help with their rent and you give them a Bible verse and invite them to your Wednesday night Bible study instead? What good is it if when you attack someone condescendingly on your Facebook or Twitter page and then make a post about coming to church? Those are all actions that contribute to what I call the Gandhi response of, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Those behaviors are counterintuitive to being Christ-like and must end if we want to bring others into the faith and transform the world. Listen, Jesus was in the business of transforming lives through practicalities. He was feeding the masses on two fishes and five loaves of bread. He was healing the sick and calming the waters. Jesus wasn't here for protocol. Jesus was at the party among the outcasts and the sinners. He didn't call us to sit on the ivory tower and look at each other. He called us to go towards the need and do the hard work. Earlier, I mentioned that Jesus called us to be salt and light. Being salt and light requires selflessness and intentionality. Knowing that your heavenly reward is far greater than anything you can receive on this earth. There was nothing that Jesus did that gave him personal benefit. He used his time, talent, and treasures, as we like to say in the nonprofit space, to meet needs and connect more people back to the Father. His ultimate sacrifice is a reflection of unconditional love and selflessness. As John 15 and 13 tells us, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So regardless of how hard the task seems, don't give in to self-centeredness. If Jesus could endure all that he experienced, then we too have the ability to persevere. Plus, when God is calling you to act, he will always, always take care of you. As a personal example, there was a day when I went through the Panda Express drive-thru. I had a busy day, I was struck with hunger, and I was so excited to get my hot plate of food. I even parked in the parking lot to stop and eat because I was just that hungry and excited. A homeless man came up to my car, and before he could even say a word, the Holy Spirit told me, give him your food. The man in tattered clothes and unshaven face sincerely said to me, excuse me, I'm, I'm really hungry, can you spare me some change? So I said, because I didn't have any money at that time, so I said, here, and I gave him my meal. 
surprised, he said, oh, oh, I, I, ma'am, I can't take your meal. And I said, no, please have it. He thanked me profusely, sat on the parking lot curb, and scarfed down the food. In that moment, my ministry was meeting his basic need. I didn't need a Bible verse to quote because I wanted him to see Jesus through the act, and I didn't need a Facebook status for a pat on the back. A week later, I was in need of something and trying to figure out how I was going to pay for it. I checked the mailbox, and I saw a card from Mr. Ed, who is my step-grandfather. He sent the card randomly, just as something to encourage me, and it had $20 in it, the amount that I was needing. That moment and countless others in my life have taught me that when you do what God instructs you to do selflessly and intentionally, he will always take care of you. Sometimes he just wants to see whether you're going to be about his business and sacrifice for him. I hear Christians constantly quote the phrase of being about their father's business. But are we really about that life when one out of every five kids goes hungry every day in Oklahoma? When people are crying to get their lives on track, but there isn't enough mental health and substance abuse services to address their need? When our state leads the world in the rate of incarceration of men and women? When families ha are having to decide whether to pay their rent, go to the doctor to get their medical concern addressed, or fix the engine in their vehicle that takes them to and um, from work? When parents are working three jobs just, or, or when parents working three jobs have to decide, do I leave my job and get fired because their place of employment doesn't give them benefits, or do I pick up my sick child from school? When institutions are allowed to get tax benefits from discriminating against people on who to adopt children that don't fit their profile? When babies are being locked up in cages simply because they weren't born on American soil? Are we truly about our father's business when so much chaos exists around us and so many sit silently on the sidelines? I know those issues seem out of reach, but regardless of how impossible the work seems to tackle, regardless of how tough or uncomfortable the challenges of this life become. And regardless of how exhausting and frustrating it feels, remember that we were called for such a time as this. There are too many lives on the line and the quality of life for future generations are at stake. It takes all of us a collective effort to shape the life that we want to see. I want to leave you with three ways that you can fulfill your Christian responsibility in these trying times. One, you must play your position. I'm not asking you to be the world savior and the Olivia Pope of these situations. <laughs> I'm asking you to play the position that God assigned to you to bring us that much closer to change. The best part about this Christian journey is that you're not alone, and yes, you are needed. Everyone has a role to play, regardless of how small it may feel or how burdensome it may seem. My favorite quotation is, you cannot do all of the good that the world needs, but the world needs all of the good that you can do. Every day, it reminds me that my role may be small, but is necessary for transformational change. 
I love the analogy of our assignments being like the human body. Sometimes we look at the major organs like the heart, the brain, and the liver as important functions to live. But we forget that every part plays a key role in keeping the body functioning. Like the small intestine. Did you know that the small intestine connects our stomach and is responsible for digesting the food we consume? It also plays an invaluable communicative tool to the body because it produces various substances that carry messages to other parts of the body. It helps in fighting germs and regulating the body's water balance. When it's time to notify you that something isn't right in your body, guess what? It's likely that intestine communicating with you. So that's an organ that we can't live without. So some of us will have the assignment of a brain, a heart, or a liver to do the work that we're called to do. But for the small intestines in the room, your work matters too. <laughs> we can't defeat the isms and the hate that consumes us in the world without you doing your part in the body. The second piece, in addition to playing your position, is you must be bold and courageous. Jesus did the impossible and the unimaginable. He was a rule bender because he was focused on the bigger picture. He used his voice, his actions, and ultimately suffered on the cross so that he could save us from the sins of the world, even those who were responsible for his death and persecution. Jesus' life and death are powerful visualizations that sometimes courage requires us to stand alone, go against the grain, and or feel pain. We have a Christian obligation to not only influence through our individual words and behaviors, but also a responsibility to change outcomes systematically. The changing of hearts and minds is necessary, but they do not correct thousands of years of oppression and a thousand-year-long economic head start for some. Hearts and minds help us think about things differently for future generations, but they don't correct past harm, nor do they dismantle the built inequities we experience. The great news is that it isn't an either-or. We can do both. What I love most about working in public policy and being an advocate is that I get to do both. I'm able to walk in love as Jesus instructed us to do and work to tear down the systems that hold us back as Jesus also instructed us to do, remembering that it takes time, courage, and character to do so. As one of, if not the only, black women lobbyists under the age of 30 working on 23rd and Lincoln, I quickly learned to rely on the strength of the Lord. You walk courageously when you feel like the underdog. You walk courageously when you're dismissed as if you're inferior and don't know what you're doing. You walk courageously when the resources and the odds are stacked against you. If we, as in the advocates in this room and others throughout the state working for change, didn't walk in purpose, passion, and determination, then there, wouldn't, then there would have been an additional loan product added in the state to hurt 
hurt low-income Oklahomans. Our poorest neighbors in need of health care would have lost their coverage. Tax breaks mostly benefiting millionaires wouldn't have been the focal point of discussion during session, and a revenue-raising budget with no tax cuts would not have been passed without the work of us together. That happened because enough grass tops advocates, grassroots advocates, and decision makers decided to walk in their obligation to protect the least among us and make their voices heard. We've come a long way in humanity, but we can't forget the cost of getting there. When we reflect on the leaders that we hold in highest esteem, we must remember that they made bold decisions in the most contentious and dangerous circumstances. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King, Claire Looper, President Abraham Lincoln, Malala Yoshisai. They literally put their lives on the line to change the status quo, not for just their sake, but for those around them and for the future. Amidst the death threats, the long days, and the late nights with uncertainty and no clear end in sight, they were bold enough to do the things that ultimately changed policy, culture, and hearts and minds for generations to come. But know that it wasn't just them. It took other decision makers, advocates, their family and friends, and others within their sphere of influence to walk beside them, support them, and help execute the vision. My favorite part of the movie Selma, how many of you saw Selma? All right. My favorite part of the movie is the scene when Dr. King fell at his lowest of lows and called Mahalia Jackson in the middle of the night to sing him a song that uplifted his spirit. Mahalia Jackson may not have been the face of the civil rights movement, but she was an integral part because her voice carried the movement. So know your position and be courageous in it because when we work together, we win in the end. And the last piece that I want to leave you with is maintaining your resilience. There's going to be that voice telling you that you're just a small intestine, so your little part doesn't matter. It's going to tell you to give up on life, to give up on that dream or that unprecedented idea. But it'll tell you to operate based on what you see and not by what could be. But you have to remain steadfast because this community, this state, and this world needs you and the important role that you play in the fabric of change. Your role in the kingdom could seem big, intimidating, or outside of your comfort zone, but we can't afford to be afraid. And the Lord tells us that there is no need to be afraid. You're not alone even when it feels like you are. Psalms tells us that God has our backs and he's in the trenches with us with his rod and his staff to comfort us. So take whatever seed God has planted inside of you and use it to do your part in transforming the world. Despite what it looks like, you are called, capable, and prepared for such a time as this. Do your part and walk it like you talk it. Thank you. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
with adult education classes at 10 a.m. and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.